Koshian Cast, the world's best and only sports anime fan podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a special guest, Matt. Hey there. Hi, Matt. How's it going? It's going okay. It was, an, uh, I think, an improved week overall, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to dive right in. Okay, cool beans. Well, as you may know, we are covering week seven of the fall season that covers November 13th to the 19th. Uh, just a quick announcement. Of course, we will not be covering Tiger Mask this week because it did not show up. Yeah, it was it was interesting. We were looking for it up until yesterday uh, when I googled what was going on with episode eight of Tiger Mask, and I got redirected to the official Twitter uh, where they posted an image of Miss X seeing that GWM had shut down the transmission or something to like <laughs> cover in their tracks the fact that they weren't going to air it. But episode eight will apparently air next week. Um, on one level, it's it's okay because they started early, you know. So they they're on episode eight while most of these shows are on episode seven. So I don't know if that'll make it okay or not. But uh, the animation quality has been going downhill recently, so it doesn't exactly speak highly of their production. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it'll mean good things, but as you know, we already kind of know. Doesn't generally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we've seen long writers take a break, it didn't mean that the episode they came back with was any better, you know, after the fact. <laughs> right. and we'll, we'll get into that for their, their second missed episode this week. Um, the only exception I can think to that is Days, which had a week off between its 12th episode and 13th, which started this core. Um, but that was a planned break, you know, so there was Right, a big... well, because that... that... That was just a seasonal thing. Exactly, yeah. So they had a big jump in quality for episode 13, but that was planned. It wasn't like there was something going fundamentally wrong with their production, like we assume <laughs> is what's happening with Tiger Mask and, and certainly is uh, what's happening with Long Riders. Yeah. All right, so anyway, do you want to jump into something we actually want to talk about? Oh, yes. Yeah. So we'll start <laughs> off with uh, Yuri on Ice. So... Yuri on Ice Episode 7, um, it pretty much just covers the free skate portion of the program, um, which is the second round in the Cup of China. And so after the after the short program, after the first round, Yuri is actually in the lead. And that hits him pretty hard that night, and he can't really sleep because uh, he's so stressed about the pressure of being on top. And worried that he won't be able to win and uh, live up to everybody's expectations. Um, so he's uh, he's unable to sleep. And Victor spends the next day trying to get him to calm down. Um, Victor tells him to take a nap and then lies down on top of him. Victor falls asleep, but Yuri doesn't. Um, he tries tries all sorts of things um, to try to get him to relax, but it doesn't really seem to work. Uh, meanwhile, the routines begin. So since Yuri placed first, he's actually going to state skate last in the free program um, so they go in reverse order by score uh, so guan hong the chinese skater goes first um, he ends up actually doing pretty well and yuri is watching it on the tvs and he freaks out because he sees how well guan hong is doing he turns off all the tvs in the public area um, and he has to sort of run away um, meanwhile uh Yuri tries tries to get away and it segues into Christ Christoph the Swiss skater 
who had placed fifth doing his routine. Um, he's fired up. He's doing better than anyone expects him to do. And Yuri uh, completely panics. And there are cameras on Yuri while he's panicking in public. So Victor takes him down to the car park in order to just isolate him and get him somewhere where he can calm down. Um, while Chris is skating, he remembers how Victor challenged him to meet him in Worlds 10 years before. And Chris uh, says that he wants to make sure that Yuri doesn't win and take Victor's place because Chris thinks that he's the only one who has a right to take Victor's place, basically. Um, Pitchett then is skating next. He is worried that Yuri and Chris are both able to jump higher than him, so he focuses on execution. He ends up having a really good uh, skate, and he pulls into first. So Yuri is still down in the car park, but he can hear the crowd going crazy above him for Pitchett, and that just freaks him out more. Victor has to put his hands over Yuri's ears uh, to try to get him to calm down. Uh, then it's Leo's turn, and while Leo is skating, Victor... Uh, tries to break Yuri's nerves, basically just get him to crack emotionally. And he does this by saying that if Yuri doesn't get in the top three, that Victor will like take responsibility for it and resign. Um, which does break Yuri, and he begins to cry and say that he doesn't want his failures to reflect on Victor. All he wants is for Victor to support him no matter what. Um... And so they, they have to start heading back upstairs, even though Yuri is broken down. But Victor's glad that he was able to actually get a reaction, so he's not just pacing nervously. Georgie is next to compete, right before Yuri. And he his theme is basically uh, trying to act out as if he's a prince rescuing his princess and trying to convince his ex-girlfriend to come back <laughs> to him. Um his ex-girlfriend is in the audience, and she watches, and she basically calls him a loser while he's performing. It makes him fall, and he's not able to uh, place. So finally, Yuri actually gets to the rink, um, and he gets on the ice, and he actually pokes Victor on the head and tries to get Victor to calm down, which is interesting, you know, since since Victor had just been doing the same for him. Um he basically his goal while he's skating is to impress Victor. So he wants to do something that Victor doesn't expect and exceed Victor's um, ex imagination for what Yuri is capable of. He ends up doing it at the at the very end of his routine. He does a quad flip. Um, he isn't able to land it cleanly, but he does get all the rotations in, which is a feat that Victor himself was never able to perform in competition. Uh, Yuri looks at Victor over on the side and says, I did great, right? And then Victor uh, jumps on him and kisses him, and they land on the ice, and everyone around there is surprised. And that basically ends the episode. So, long summary, but there was a, uh, a lot of meat in this one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of meat to this episode. And I just want to address the elephant in the room here. Yeah. Which is the fact that there is a sequel to The Skater and the King. Wait, oh, you mean Pitchett's music? P Pitchett's song was from The Skater and the King 2. Oh, <laughs> so they had to make up a sequel to a made-up yeah. musical in order to give him music? To give him more music, yes. That's awesome. I, I love that uh, that's the elephant in the room. Uh, 
<laughs> well, do you want to start off okay. with the thing that everyone's talking about with this episode? Uh, okay, so yeah, there's uh, Victor's did he kiss Yuri or not, which is something I am seeing a lot of debate about. Yeah. Because... Well, just can you just explain what the shots look like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did take note of that. So basically... Uh, Victor's lips are very defined during these shots. He, we get a couple of extreme close-ups. So they're very clearly trying to draw your attention to the lips. Um, and then they dive at an angle that, like, they ha shoot the camera from an angle in which you can't act, you see Yuri's, or Victor's face in front of Yuri's. And then there's a pause. Everybody is quiet. And then as they and then as they're on the ground, uh, Victor, you you do see that their heads are apart. As they as after they fall down, right? They're not on top of one another. So there's your plausible deniability as to whether or not they kissed. Right, but with context, you'd have to sort of you'd have to want them to be doing anything else. And there's yeah, there's a couple. So the the visual cues tell you. They, you know, they have a visual cue on Victor's lips, a visual cue on Yuri's lips, and then them com colliding into each other at the face, effectively, right. even though Victor's arm covers their mouths. Um, and this is, there's sort of like a, a couple textual cues here, too, because earlier in the episode, when Yuri is freaking out, um, Victor says, so what, do you, do you want me to kiss you? Will that calm you down? Right. Um, and Yuri's like, you know, and he's just like, no, I just want you to support me, you know? Um, <laughs> but the, the fact that he said, do you want me to kiss you didn't actually phase him. It didn't freak him out. Um, right. and then the second one is that after they have their alleged, but definitely kiss, um, <laughs> they're looking at each other and Victor says, uh, I don't have the notes precisely, but he basically says, uh, he, it was the only thing he could do to surprise Yuri more than Yuri had already surprised him with the quad right. flip. Which is a callback, you know, like that. So to me, it's it's not deniable um, unless you <laughs> desperately don't want to acknowledge the possibility that these characters are gay for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, it's a figure skating right. anime. Like, why are you trying to defend yourself? But anyway... <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, but I mean, this episode also features Victor sleeping on top of Yuri, like, basically snuggled up on his chest. Right. I mean, like, these are not just two bros who are just, you know, you know, just two dudes that are just broing out and just need to share a bed to one with one another. Right, exactly. You know? Like, I mean, you ba the only way you can basically even deny it at this point is that the series has not actively said, yes, these two are a couple. Like, yeah. that's literally the only thing you can do at this point. Yeah, and so, since about episode two, we've been saying they, they're they supposed to be gay. They are, right. you know, whether or not you can say they're in a relationship, like, that's what it's trying to imply. And you have to right. work to argue, argue there, yourself more, out of it. Yes, there's more work you have to do to deny it at this point. Uh-huh, yeah. Um... Kind of moving away from that, there were some other really interesting things about this episode that I wanted to point yeah, out. Yeah, please. I, re uh, there, I really like the way that they establish the uh, the dramatic tension about Victor, or, uh, Yuri's, like, basically freak out. Mm. 
Uh, like, especially when they're down in the parking lot and Pitchett's basically doing very well. Because it's generally focused on, you know, Pitchett doing this routine and the announcer's just basically freaking out. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just constantly like, oh my god, you know, Pitchett's making history right now. Yeah, exactly. He's doing, like, better than anybody else. And then they just keep having these very quick cuts back down to the parking lot and watching Yuri freak out. Well, yeah. Basically just... I was just going to say yeah, that he, you can see Yuri, he's freaking out, but you can, the same crowd you hear cheering in the earlier shots with Pitchett, you then hear a muffled cheer while Yuri's listening to it. Right. And I just, I like this constant, like, it's just like these quick reminders of like, okay, yes, Pitchett's doing very well. This is a big hype moment. But remember what this means for our main character. Right. And I thought that was, it's like, that was a really neat way because without ever actually having to draw attention to it. Because I feel like a lot of other sports series, they have to have this narration. Like, Victor would probably have this mental narration of like, oh no, this isn't good for him. Because this is going to break down his mentality because Pitch is doing really well and he has all these expectations to listen to. No, it trusts us to understand that that's the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's one of the complaints we have had about it is the fact that they don't really explain the, uh, they don't go over in depth with explanation of how ice skating really works. Or how it's scored, yeah. Or how it's scored at all. But at the very, at the same time, it's, it's refusal to explain that much to us is also kind of one of its biggest strengths. What do you mean? Well, just basically, basically assuming that we will understand at the very least context cues. Oh, yeah, totally. Um... And I thought that was very well done. Yeah, because you don't you don't need to know what's going to necessarily yield a big the the stuff that's important for you to know they give you what you need. Like when Yuri does the the quad the quadruple flip at the end, yeah. which I don't necessarily know how to differentiate that from some of the other jumps mm -hmm. they do. But they gave you enough context to say this is something that Victor himself never did in this way, and Yuri just did it. You know, that's all yeah, I need exactly. to know. Right. I mean, it, it really could have been any mood, a move. It doesn't really matter. The important part is that Victor wasn't able to do it, and now Yuri is attempting to basically take over his reign. Right. Uh, the other thing I really liked is that we've always had these implications that Yuri, like, succumbs to pressure pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But it's always been sort of in the background, like... You know, it, it, we kind of come in on Yuri kind of getting over that, like over one of his big panic attacks, and it's always kind of, and it's always just been referenced. So it, I really appreciated actually having an episode where we actually watched the like the consequences of that. Yeah. Uh, rather than just again, rather than just having this like, oh, okay, well he used to pay, he used to like succumb to pressure, but you know he's generally over that now with Victor's help. No, this is still something he has to work through, and something we have to, you know, it's a big weakness of his. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and I thought it was interesting that he realized that he's always cried after skating, you know, because right. after he failed to to do well enough, um, but this is the first time he cried before. And he was able to actually let the pressure go <clears throat> instead of just um, having it build and build and build and affect his performance. He was able to have that pressure get broken, you know, with Victor's help. Right. And that's kind of the important part about the about their relationship is the fact that these two actually work very well for one another because Yuri kind of needs somebody to kind of bring him down. Yeah. Uh, 
He needs kind of somebody to, like, give him... To basically give him a boost. He needs somebody who's going to let him express himself. Whereas Victor kind of needs somebody... Whereas Victor, on the other hand, like... Because there was that point where he was, like... He wasn't really thinking about Yuri's feelings or about how he would actually react to it. He was just trying to get elicit a, a reaction from him. Right. Like, and I think Yuri's uh, freak out there was kind of good for Victor, too. Because he's like, okay, so... Yeah, I did break him. I did get what I wanted here, but I kind of stepped on a minefield here. Yeah, exactly. He didn't really know how to react. He says that, effectively, when Yuri starts crying. He's like, I don't really know how to deal with people crying in front of me. Like, you did this on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, he lives such a carefree life and basically doesn't, like, really give the impression that he cares that much about the people around him because he just kind of does what he wants. And now, like, having a situation where he's forced to confront that. Right. It's like, oh, geez, this is actually somebody I care about and this is what happens. Right. So, yeah, uh, it was a really good episode this week. I actually, I really enjoyed this episode. The one thing I'll say is that I hope the next episode doesn't jump straight into um, the moscow cup or the whatever the russian competition is um because the these last two episodes have felt very similar it's just been going through routines and watching yuri react to them through that is true and i would i would like to see a different structure where it's not just six routines in a row right well because we've had our big route we've had our big tournaments now and i feel it is kind of time now for a bit of cool down because like most sports anime have that Mm mm-hmm because they, they, you know, you have your big tournament, you have your big game, and then, you know, but, you know, you have so much tension building up here, you gotta give a little bit of time for character development. Kind of let, let the characters reflect on what's happened. Right. Yeah. <sighs> hopefully. Anyway. But, yeah, overall, it was, uh, it was good. One of the... I don't know. I think, I think it was more interesting than the last couple episodes. Obviously, it's important to see their relationship advance towards undeniability um <laughs> but yeah so you want to move on to our uh, our next show that also turned things around a little bit oh yeah oh yeah go on to haikyuu man exactly so we're jumping in with episode seven of haikyuu and uh one thing i want to note before we dive into the summary itself is the title of the episode the title is obsession I thought that was interesting and maybe a theme we'll, we'll come back to in our, in our discussion. Um, right. So the episode starts off with the fifth set, and uh, Coach Ukai has decided just to pull Kageyama because Kageyama was tired at the end of the last set. He was starting to make mistakes, and he had Sugawara sub in. Um, the issue, of course, is that Sugawara hasn't started a set in a long time because Kageyama's been the, been the primary setter. He is extremely nervous and he feels like his hands are cold. Um, their manager, Kyoko, comes over and holds his hands and uh, <laughs> Sugawara responds, I can't marry you yet! Uh, <laughs> which I, I thought was pretty funny in the moment. Um, and then, of course, all of the other uh, members of the team get immensely jealous that Kyoko would be paying attention to him and holding his hands. And it's, it's honestly a funny scene. Anyway, so moving forward... Uh, Sugawara has a flashback um, to his training in doing spikes. So as soon as he is given the opportunity, he actually allows um, Nishinoya 
to do a jumping set and then they do a five-man uh charge with the rest of the players and sugawara gets a spike despite being the setter and he scores one of the first points so that sort of sets the tones for for the fifth set is that sugawara is not to be underestimated right um switching over to the shiratorizawa side they the the focus on this episode really is flashbacks from tendo and ushiwaka um so Tendo remembers how uh, even when he's in high school, a lot of the other uh, members of the team are scared of him and intimidated by him, but uh, the Shiratorizawa coach doesn't mind, and he says that as long as he can score, he doesn't care what other people think, right? Um, so then he, has, he cuts to sitting in the dining hall, and he's sitting down and talking to Ushiwaka about how Ushiwaka started volleyball. And we get a flashback within a flashback, and Ushiwaka starts remembering that he learned volleyball from his father, um, and his father refused to let anyone uh, teach him to to use his right hand. They said, basically, that Ushiwaka using his left hand was what made him special, and that he would need to be special in the future. Um, His father was someone who had played volleyball in high school and college, and uh, he wanted to be on a team just like his father had been and be an ace because of the way that his father talked about his team's ace. Um, the, uh, so it goes through a couple of other elements with the flashback, and Ushiwaka's dad told him that he needs to find a strong team so that he can see lots of interesting players. And then we cut back to the present, and the the competition and the back and forth in the fifth set has finally inspired Ushiwaka, and he realizes that he's having fun and that he's having he's really engaged with a match in a way that he usually isn't. He looks around back at his teammates, and he smiles at them, which is something we've never seen before. And he says, <laughs> "I'm starting to get into it." Um, of course, all his teammates freak out because that's you know the kind of enthusiasm he never displays. Um, Despite that, he's uh, he, he hits into a block from Suki, uh, but the the point still scores even though Suki gets a one touch. Um, but when they come down, Suki realizes that the spike cut his hand, so um, Suki's hand is bleeding and he has to get taken to the infirmary. Um, He's getting walked off with Kyoko, and he jokes to his brother about how nice it'll be to relax for a while, but actually his face, he's just trying to hold back tears and put up a front. Um, the the episode ends with a flash uh, to Tendo again, remembering how when he was a little kid, uh, the, the other kids playing volleyball said that monsters aren't allowed on human teams. Um... But then he, he remembers playing volleyball anyway and shutting down those same kids with his blocks. And he sort of relishes the opportunity to break people's spirits like he does to block the spike from Sugawara at the end of the episode. Right. Okay, so my takeaway from the episode is that this is really when Karasuno is breaking down. Um, we have Kageyama on the bench because he's so exhausted because, you know, he's played four sets. Uh, you have Suki who basically, who's basically been their MVP this entire game, uh, who's, who's, has to be taken off the field because his hand is basically bleeding and in terrible pain. 
And I feel like at the end of this episode, it's implying that Suga's gonna break as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because basically, Tendo just completely broke the fact that, you know, this new confidence that Sugo had just gained in himself with his spikes. Yep. And so, this is going to be the time, uh, well, first of all, for me to eat crow. Heh. Ugh. Uh. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, they're the crows, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, move on, move on. But, uh... <clears throat> Uh, so a couple things that we uh, we kind of have to we were compl- uh, first of all I was completely wrong that this match was going to basically be uh, Shiro Torizawa basically dominating this entire game. They're actually pretty like up until the very end. Yeah. They're actually pretty even throughout this. It's not until the end that Shiro Torizawa is starting to dominate this. Yeah. In fact, they did a pretty good job at the beginning of this match, uh, setting basically setting it up so it seemed like Karasuno was going to take a pretty early lead. Mm-hmm. Which I really appreciated, because I was really expecting this to basically be Shiro Torizawa, like, basically scoring, racking up, like, about ten points at first while Karasuno's still at, like, zero, and then for them to pull away, like, a miraculous comeback. Yeah, it's, it, it is a standard narrative, but I'm glad they didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Again, this is part of the benefit of the author of the series actually playing the volleyball <laughs> yeah. himself and kind of understanding how the rhythm of some of these matches actually go. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, there was one thing I know you wanted to talk about, which was... So, my takeaway from this episode was that Ushiwaka basically getting into the game is a double-edged sword. Hmm. Because in the sense that, you know, he's hitting a lot harder now, but he's also making more mistakes. Well, it's unclear whether... I, I, I don't know if that was the implication you're supposed to get. Because what, what mistakes do you think he made? Well, because when he was serving, he was it was getting really close to the line. To the point where they where it's starting to be uh, vague that it's... Uh, that whether or not it's out. So it seems like to me that if he gets... If he keeps, keeps getting into this more and more... He's going to start shooting, he's going to start knocking it out unintentionally, which is not something, you know, mistakes are not something that Ushiwakam does. Yeah. Um, um, well, the, the one thing that I, I wanted to talk about with Ushiwaka that I thought was interesting, and we'll circle back to what you're saying, is just that um, we get to see something from his perspective. So right. what's what's interesting to me is that this feels like the first episode where Ushiwaka is a character and not a... Um, just a, a force of nature, which is effectively that was what the he exact was. term I was thinking. Of. Yeah. So um, up <laughs> up until now, he's just sort of been the perfect volleyball player who had no real faults, but also had no emotions, and he was just uh, infinitely large, infinitely skillful, un- effectively unstoppable. Um, and even if you managed to stop him on one play, he would figure it out and overcome you because he's just the best there is. Um, so it was interesting to see where that drive came from. You know, a lot of his per- his emotionlessness is just his personality. Like, even as a kid, he's always been that way. He's been really reserved. But despite that, he saw the team as a way of connecting with people who were doing something great. He wanted to meet great volleyball players. He wanted to be able to live up to his dad's example and do something his dad would be proud to see him doing. Um and also, in the end, he realized that once he finally had a match, like he has with uh, Karasuno, where he's 
playing against a team that he's not sure he can beat, he's able to really enjoy himself for the first time. Right. Um, I don't know if it was implied that he was making mistakes so much as he was just operating on the fringes. Like, the, the interpretation I got is that he respects Karasuno so much in a way that he doesn't usually respect other teams that he was forced to operate in a riskier pattern right okay so like he's making serves that are right on the line because he has to in order to succeed or he's um his spikes are getting blocked but barely and he's he's hitting it so it can barely get blocked or he changes his play style like there's there's one shot where nishinoya has effectively learned um Ushiwaka's habits and he's in the place to receive a straight spike but at the last minute Ushiwaka is able to adjust and uh, spike to the left you know where you know okay. where nobody is so he's forced to adjust his play style because he respects cross now at least that that's what I got on on the surface level okay no that's an interesting way because the way I had taken it was that because he was getting into the game like he was kind of losing control of himself, you know, this big emotionless... Yeah. Like, basically, volleyball machine was kind of finally starting to come off the hinges because he's getting, like, excited about it now. He's finally showing emotion. So, was this going to be his big moment where he's going to start, like, making failures? Yeah, so... But I think that's a more interesting interpretation of it, actually. Like, what you're saying. Yeah. The, the only... And I, I'm not, I'm not going to take too much time, but the, the, the one thing I want to say on that is that I don't think, knowing the rest of this series that they would ever make an argument against having fun playing volleyball. <laughs> That's a fair point. You know, like, I, I, just, I just can't imagine that the conclusion would be like, if only he'd been more emotionless and not, you know, taken this to heart, then he could have won. You know? Right. <laughs> I guess that's fair. I suppose that is pretty fair. Do you want to do you want to discuss uh, Tendo and his little backstory and his, his moment at the end? Oh, yeah, no, he's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's really fun to see how the, like, the, you know, Tendo basically being this, like, really fun character, there's... It's hard to describe what makes this really creepy. Mm -hmm. Like, like what... Like, I guess it's the fact... Like, because we get these shots of him thinking... Like, these very quiet shots of him thinking back to his childhood. And, like, you clearly see him as a child, and he thinks, like break them yeah exactly like all he wants it's like that's kind of the first setup it's like okay tendo is going a little unhinged now yeah you, you you can see that sort of the goofiness is a little surface level but deep down there's a lot of anger and resentment um right. because you see this first with him as a high school player that even his own teammates are freaked out by him and he can hear that and he notices he just chooses not to acknowledge it publicly and but this has gone back to when he was a little kid. From when he was a little kid, he was rejected for being creepy and weird. Um, right. But he took that rejection and he played anyway, and he just tried to break the spirits of anyone who came up against him as right. a kind of revenge. Because yeah, and I guess that's the thing. Because now we're in the realization. It's like this guy isn't here to have like this guy's sense of fun and what we've taken his as his sense of fun are two very different things. And I guess it's that realization that's really creepy. Yeah, I agree. You know, you, you just see him as like, oh, he's the wacky, creepy character. It's like, no, actually, he's the emotionally damaged character. <laughs> right, he... Because, like, it's... 
Because I kind of expected Ushiwaka to be the one who's damaged. Like, my interpretation of what I was expecting his backstory to be would be, like, you know, he ha he came from, like, this father or, like, you know, where he's constantly demanded perfection. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, Ushiwaka's actually the, like, the emotionally stable one. He's actually got a pretty decent life. Yeah. With a very supportive father. Yeah, his, and it's, it's funny because his father very clearly goes against that because again you would assume the same thing if he's the best in the sport you assume that his father's pressuring him but they show shots of his father saying like you know i enjoy volleyball i hope you enjoy it too um i would like to have this be something we share but if you don't like it i don't expect you to play and he actually right. said that's his first memory is being told like i just want to enjoy this with you if you're interested but if not that's fine because i love you son you know like right, this is right. the it's most like, oh. well-balanced kind father and it's not like he disappeared or died or anything it's just like they're like oh well where's your father he's like oh he's overseas on business but he should come back for another match later if we get to nationals <laughs> right yeah exactly he's clearly making time for his son yeah here. exactly um so it's so that's kind of the interesting twist that tendo's actually the one who's the real menacing figure on that team mm -hmm. yeah and that's very unexpected um real quick before we go on I, I know we're kind of going long on this segment but there's one thing i do want to ask you about what was your interpretation of the line of suga going i can't marry you yet kyoko yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that might... My guess is it's something about the way they posed. Um, like, the way that right. he had his hands and she put her hands around his would be a clue to a Japanese audience that it's sort of reflective of a pose in a, in a wedding. Um, okay. That was my guess, but again, I don't actually know enough about it, Japanese weddings. It was kind of a weird line. Yeah. Just on the basis, it's like, so are they implying that they're actually going out? Or is Suga just being a dumb kid and being like, uh, 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 I can't marry you yet, Kyoko, I'm too young. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I have to assume that it was like a visual cue for uh, a, a joke in Japan. But again, I don't have a great answer. Despite that fact, it it was funny. Like, the visual oh, cue yeah, was funny. Absolutely. So it was, it was a highlight for me. <laughs> oh yeah, it's probably actually the hardest I've laughed watching. It's probably my favorite gag. <laughs> What's <laughs> up there? Um, I don't know. I I mean, I like a lot of the gags with Taka and Nishinoya too. But oh yeah. Anyway, um, I really like the gag from like a previous episode where Hinata is like bugging, or I think it was Suki because he keeps uh he keeps popping in and out of frame as Suki's walking away. It's like, huh? Hey, great job, man. Great job. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, of course, the gag where Hinata actually has to be explained uh, uh, preemptively about what uh, Ushiwaka's insult is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He has to get tutoring <laughs> on how he was just insulted. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I think we can probably save this for the ra for the season wrap-up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Top, top so 10 best haiku gags. Yeah. So March comes in like a lion. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So Let's episode seven. Um, so this starts out uh, with chapter three of the the son of God or child of God, excuse me, um, which <laughs> basically just means it's continuing directly the, the plot from the last episode. Um, right. So it starts. It basically picks up where the last one left off with Ray sitting in the McDonald's and talking to Takahashi, who's the captain of Hana's school baseball team. Um, it turns out that Takahashi actually decided to go to this school because they had a good baseball program, even though it was 
uh, far away from his home. So he's from a rural area, but he moved to the city in order to go to this school to pursue a baseball career. Um, and he did it because his father told him about Ray, because Ray became a pro shogi player in middle school. And his father said, well, if this middle schooler can follow his dreams, why can't you? And so that's what he did. And he wonders, he asked Ray why Ray went back to high school. Um, and basically Ray explains that he was, a, you know, he had quit high school when he became a pro, but he wanted to get rid of the memories of quitting. So he wanted to go back and finish what he'd started. And Takahashi immediately understood that because he understood that anytime you choose not to do the hard thing to pursue either your sport or the kind of life you want, uh, it really undermines everything else you do. And he said, and he basically thanked Ray. He said, thank you for you know explaining where you come from. I totally understand. And in this moment, uh, Ray gets overwhelmed. He gets emotionally overwhelmed. He says he feels like crying and that he's so happy that he let his guard down and spoke honestly with someone. Um, and he basically says that he, he really wants to talk to Takahashi again because he hasn't had that kind of conversation before. Um, so Takahashi let, leaves and then Hana and Rei thank each other and then talk about how cool Takahashi is. <laughs> um... And so at the at the end of the chapter, Ray is uh, he can't sleep and he sits up to himself and he thinks about how someday he would like to have a conversation with Soya, the child of God, the Japanese shogi champion. He'd like to sit down with him and have a similar conversation about what it's like to be on the other side of the goal, aka what it, what is it like to be a shogi champion, the same way that Takahashi wanted to talk to Ray about being a professional. Um, so in the in the the second chapter, Hana's freaking out because Takahashi comes over and she's making curry for them um, because well Ray wanted Ray and Hana both wanted to see Takahashi again so they invited him over, um, and then uh, they sit down and Takahashi has actually brought over a VHS recording of Ray's match on. TV, the NHK Cup, which they alluded to in like the second episode, um, and you so you actually sit down and you watch the match, and Ray remembers how he actually took an unnecessary risk to break the stalemate in the match, um, right. and Nikaido is announcing on the TV, and he yells at Ray that he's playing recklessly and that he's not taking care of his own shogi or taking care of himself. Um, and then Ray gets mad at Nikaido on TV yelling at him, and he yells back at the TV. So there's Ray yelling at the TV, uh, basically indignant that Nikaido's taking, telling him to take care of himself. Hana says, that's the first time you've ever raised your voice. Um, and But she sort of thinks it's nice. She ends up asking if Ray can teach her to play shogi, and once again he's emotionally overwhelmed uh, by the fact that someone's interested in what he does. Uh, so he does go out, he gets her some shogi materials, and then he tries to teach her shogi, uh, but he's too technical and they don't understand it, and Hana gets bored, so then Nikaido sits down and he shows them a picture book about how to play shogi, and they're very interested, and <laughs> Ray feels um, excluded and useless, uh, but not in a depressed way, but kind of in a, in a more com comedic way, and that's the end of the episode. Right. Okay, so this episode, we almost got our shogi lessons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was my major takeaway from this episode. Yeah, I almost understood uh, a little more. Yeah, just just a little bit more. Uh, I like how they actually do handle the whole thing with uh, basically Ray being being a very boring teacher and giving. Uh, I think her name is actually Hina. I forget what. Uh, uh, he like uh, I like the way that they make it so that Ray's actually very bad at teaching Hina. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, this is a guy who has not spent much time dealing with people. This is a guy who has basically been very afraid to talk to people and reach out to other people about aspects about his life. And so the fact that he's very bad at doing this, it seems very fitting for him. The fact that he just wants to give them a very straight explanation. Um, and I thought that, I thought it was, I thought that was pretty well done. Not only, and I kind of liked the fact that Nikaido has been kind of a growing presence in their life as well. I'm kind of confused about this whole book that he decided to write on Shogi. What do you mean? Well, the fact that he had it shown because he wrote the. If you look at the, uh, if you look at the book, it says that he's the one who wrote that picture book. Oh really? I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> oh yeah, I caught that immediately. Like, why did you do it? When did you have the time? At what point did you think this would be useful? I mean, clearly it was. Huh. Um. So did I? I did I? One quick question before we move on. Did I spend that entire section referring to Hina as Hana? Ah, uh, you did. Yes. Ah. Uh, so. <laughs> good. I'm sorry. I didn't notice it at first until the very end, and I was like, "Is he been saying Hana?" Yeah. So this is. I think it's the fact that I'm watching so much more anime these days and trying to keep them separate with this. <laughs> Hana is the main character from Wolf Children. It's the mother in Wolf oh, Children, which I watched okay. recently. And so for some reason, all these similar names I end up conflating. And so I apologize I for mean, that. <laughs> I was referring to uh, Takumi last episode, or Takuma as Takumi last episode. Yeah, yeah. And so, I've, I've uh, missed we... up Miyuki and Mizuki too, between Days and All Out. So yeah, anyway, no, names fine. are hard, especially when, you know... Some of them are unfamiliar. Right. But anyway. That's fair. Um, one, one of the things I wanted to hit on with this is just how interesting it is that the first chapter of this episode and the, the two before it were all called Child of God. Um, right. And they were all, you know, so they were all referring to Soya, the Japanese champ. Um but you never actually meet him or interact with him or add anything other than a couple memories of Ray seeing him in passing. Right. Um, and I kind of like where that ended up, which is that, you know, Ray had these interesting interactions with, mostly with Takahashi, but then with Hina. Um, and, <laughs> but which sort of opened him up to the possibility of connecting emotionally with someone who was interested in what he did. And he said, like, that was so great. Like, that I've, I've never felt anything like that. He's, but he clearly identifies with Soya, and he says, I wish I could have that kind of conversation with him. I wish I could know what it's like to be, on, to be a champion at, at Shogi. Um, right. So I think this sort of cements our theory from earlier that, that Soya is supposed to be a stand-in for a certain direction. Uh, that Ray's life can go sort of towards the isolation and the pure focus on Shogi. Um, so he still wants to know what that's like because he's still pursuing that path. But I think right. eventually we may get there where he sits down with Soya and realizes, 
oh this isn't the path i should be on this is this is a path of isolation not a path of growth and and um community and where i'm finding the most reward is through sitting down in mcdonald's with like a guy <laughs> from some girls from school baseball, baseball team. team and talking about your dreams like that's that's where i really get fulfillment not shogi but he's still he's still pursuing it so it's an, it's it's interesting where he's starting to learn what his real priorities are and he hasn't totally figured Ooh. it out yet well, we got yeah. That's about what it's kind of what I was about to say was that uh, this episode is basically about Ray finding motivation mm -hmm. because he even starts off this episode thinking like you know I don't really have any sort of motivation for playing shogi. Yeah, I just because like the only thing is that it's like I have no real reason to win, but the only reason I even do it is because I hate to lose even more. Yeah. So this actually gives him some sort of focus for something for him to work towards. Mm -hmm. Which is basically this notion that if he can ever get good enough, he can actually go and speak to the shogi master or the current, the current master. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that that's probably what they were going for. Right. Um, and not only that, but he's also starting to uh, he's starting to kind of reach out more. He's like because now Hina again has kind of broken through to. Uh, to Ray a little bit more because you know she wants to learn about shogi mm -hmm. you know she approaches him and she's like i'd like you to teach me about it yeah so in that conversation where she says i'd like you to teach me about shogi and then earlier when he has this meaningful conversation with takahashi do you want to explain some of the the anim like what's going on with the animation during those sequences when ray's describing how he's feeling uh Basically, I didn't actually take that many notes on that. Um, I seem to recall it basically being... it's ba Like, we're starting to see some, like, really bright gold colors. Like, it's... Uh, like, the sun has just risen for him. Mm -hmm. Almost. Like, we get... Like, it's very... I see... I recall a lot of imagery where it's basically just the two, like, of Rei and Takahashi talking... And there's just this glittering sunset in the background, like these warm golden colors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and, and I like, and, and and I saw that mostly as a contrast to the imagery when he has imagery of being stuck in his own head per se. It's of right. being of drowning or struggling to swim like, or the water, and even when he's standing on the ground, it's just dark. It's pitch dark the whole time. Um, so I thought this is, like, a complete surprise. Like, he's been stuck in his head so long, he's surprised at the fact that light comes in. Um, and I thought right. it was a pretty useful image in terms of communicating right. what he's feeling. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, because basically, because, yeah, it's like, it's it almost felt like an eruption, almost. Mm. Like, because it's like, this is somebody who's been held down for just so long, and then just suddenly, like, suddenly where we start seeing in his head just all of this color and light and warmth come in, it's it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. Like, this sensation, it's like, it helps us kind of feel the sensation that he is actually feeling right now. Just about how, like, it's, it's almost too much to handle. Well, yeah, and I like that they went, you might say, over the top with the imagery. Because... It's hard to understand why a conversation at a table at McDonald's uh, in which one guy who he's never met before says, oh, thanks, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you telling <laughs> right. me that. 
that was the thing that overwhelmed him. But it's because he doesn't have conversations like that. He doesn't have conversations where people are interested in him as a person or people who look up to him or people who want to learn from him or people who are excited to talk to him. Like, that is a new sensation for him. Um, right. or some... And it's kind of a nuisance. It's kind of a new sensation for the viewer, mm-hmm. like, as well, because we're so used to being just dragged down and, like, hit over the head and, like, almost like, it almost feels like we're choking watching this sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about some ping pong girls? Yeah, let's talk about it. All right. Um, so, Scorching Ping Pong Girls, Episode 7, basically the, this is the beginning of the, uh, the practice match against Moyama, uh, excuse me, Moziyama Junior High, and they are a nationally ranked team that, uh, the, the girls are sort of intimidated by, but they know it'll be good practice, um, and they've already met one of the characters, the creepy green-haired girl. And they meet up with her again. And turns out that her name is Kururi. And the captain of Moziyama is Zakuro. And so Zakuro and Kururi are these uh, nationally known players who are really good. But they have kind of a weird relationship in which they're, they're friends. But Kururi clearly has a deep... Uh, emotional attachment <laughs> to Zakuro that Zakuro doesn't particularly understand uh, or acknowledge, and uh, it's a little off. But I think it's supposed to be treated comedically, even though if these were real people, it would be a deeply disturbing, um, right. e- emotionally flawed relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, a lot of boring crap happens in the first half. <laughs> of the episode where they have cutesy little interactions and Karuri and Koyori get locked in a (coughs) talk in the bathroom because Koyori locks herself inside and it's it's dumb um it's a callback actually to the first episode oh yeah where she gets stuck on top of the gate wow I didn't even I didn't even notice that see it was kind of a it was kind of a meaningless callback though so yeah exactly like as if that was a foundational image or anything um, right. So they they're eventually they they get out of the bathroom and then uh, Karuri says that she's going to defeat Koyori when they actually have their match um, because uh, merely having a good game isn't enough to pay the friendship fee uh, for Zakuro and then Zakuro walks in and Karuri hugs her, and Zakuro goes, because she (laughs) doesn't understand anything. Um, The important part of this episode is that they start the match. So the first match is Hanabi playing um, Sasurida, who uh, is also known as the Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Hanabi is able to win the first two games because of her speed, uh, she's able to control the pace of the game, um, but she then loses the next two because she's worn out, and Sasarita is able to throw off her pacing by uh, forcing Hanabi to play long ball instead of playing close to the table. Um, 
and she so Hanabi's never able to speed up the pace and get into a volley, and Sasarita's basically able to exhaust her and uh, dominate. So the animation in that section is actually really good. It's a well-done match. It's fun to watch. Uh, but that's really the only meaningful content in the episode. It, it ends right. up by setting up the next match between Yuragi on the other team, also known as Pendulum, which is a great nickname for a junior high <laughs> ping-pong player, I guess, <laughs> uh, against Hokuto, uh, in which Yuragi wins the first game off screen and sort of bobs side to side and is very happy with herself but you don't actually <laughs> see how and so presumably the next episode will set it up okay so i i don't know about you i've actually kind of grown numb to a lot of the otaku baiting stuff yeah i guess i mean that's why i skipped so much of the first half of the episode because it, there was no content like it was yeah mm. i mean it's kind of like it's like it's dumb but i almost kind of don't care anymore I'm, I mostly oh. spend the episodes waiting for them to actually play ping pong, and then I tune in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one thing I did think was a little funny because Kira, when they're in the uh, when they're in the pl- when they first enter the club room, uh, Kirka is already laying on Mune Mune's chest, and I did think that was actually just a little funny, just on the basis of they're not even setting this up as a joke anymore. This is just an aspect to her character now. Just deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh yeah, she's laying on her chest. That's just what she does. Get over it. Yep. It's like I, I almost just don't even care if they're not. I mean, if they're not gonna like waste time in an episode bringing it up. Well, because like, they're not setting it up as a gag. Because mm-hmm. they're not trying well, to draw attention to like whoa boobs. Um, then right. okay, who cares? That's better than it was when it was first introduced. Right. It's just like yeah, that's just that's that's their character trait. That's what she does. That's fine. Well, it's the same way that Kirika is incapable of wearing a shirt in which her left shoulder is not exposed. <laughs> Or how Hokuto apparently is incapable of wearing a shirt that doesn't have, like, that doesn't cover her mouth. Yeah, exactly. So... Because, like, with... That just has to be their their design no matter what. She always has to have her left shoulder out because she's just so loose. And Hokuto always has to have that... Her mouth covered because she's ice cold. You know, whatever. Right. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) I'm kind of mixed on, uh, Kururi. Uh, like... Okay, so I, there's a moment where, like, sh- like the team captain is talking to the rest of the team, and everybody is kind of, like, scared, and they cut into a show behind her, and, like, Kururi is just, like, giving everybody this terrible death stare. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's actually, that was actually kind of funny, I thought. Yeah. It was a good, like, it was a I, good I sight gag. Out of it. It's, a, it's a good sight gag. And the fact that, uh, I, I am kind of amused by the uh, revelation as well that Kururi is just sort of weirdly obsessive, and not really, uh... Because it's like, when they first brought up the whole thing about the friendship fee, I thought this was going to be something about where, like, this is the evil school. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, where, like, Kururi is actually this very nice person, but she feels like she's being forced into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Turns out she just and, made like, it up. And... No, no, yeah, no, it's all in her head. Exactly. And it's like, it's the girl's like, what are you doing? Like, we're friends, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like, okay, that's kind of funny, and I kind of like that about her character. But then she has to keep dragging out this whole, like, death thing. Yeah, well, she just throws it in, like, a pun to every sentence, and it's, right. it's so it's boring. Like, right, well, it's like, I don't mind the stuff where it's, uh, where it's like, oh, it's like, deathly sorry of that, or something like that. That's whatever, I don't care. But then it's just like, is death so? It's like, as opposed to, is like, that is that so? so? Yeah. It's like, 
Okay, you are really stretching this gag. Maybe this is a joke that doesn't translate well to English. Like, maybe there's something about the word that in Japanese that sounds like it in, uh, that sounds like death in Japanese as well. But it's like, this isn't a pun that works, and it just is stupid and annoying, yeah. and I hate it. Yeah, most of it is stupid and annoying. Um, but, but there was, but the, the match itself was nice. Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, and about it seems that? like we're mostly into the matches right now. And this is the part where Scorching Ping Pong Girls has always been good pretty much no matter what. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to see a match, you know, a different type of match. Um, there is one thing I would like to point out that I thought was interesting was I did like how, Hok uh, the one important thing that happened at the beginning of the episode was that. Hokuto did choose out a uh, a rubber for Koyori. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that what she did for it was that she did find a rubber that kind of suited her unique play style, which was like, I gave her a rubber that gave the ball a satisfying clank because I figured she's an emotional player. And therefore, like, the clank would make it sound more satisfying so she'd get into it easier. Yeah, it, it sort of plays on her specific strength being the fact that she has fun. Like, somehow right. that she, she plays better the more fun she has, so why not have a paddle that yeah. sounds fun? <laughs> right, and I thought that actually, I, I again, it's like, when it goes into ping pong, I think this series does some interesting things. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of this episode is also to kind of set up, because this is... Because this was the team that beat the uh, the main team that we saw at the beginning of the series, right? No. No. Okay, never mind. I'll shut up. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but this is a team that was at Nationals. <clears throat> okay. Okay, fair enough. So, I guess I... So, I do appreciate that they're kind of showing this to set... Like, this is, again, like, kind of establishing power of the different team. The fact that... Uh, for, so, for example, we know that... Uh, Tenka lose it like you know she's supposed to be the number two or I guess I guess actually technically number four on the team uh-huh now but the fact that you know she loses you know in this kind of weird drawn out match after she almost had it you know this is kind of meant to show off okay this is this team is a real threat now mm -hmm. and the fact that we kind of ended on this part where Hokuto is on the verge of losing yeah so You've got to imagine that Hokuto is going to lose her match because the series doesn't care that much about Hokuto and Hanabi. Um, right. But And then, so they'll be down 2-0 and they'll have to win their last three. So you'll get to see... You'll get to see uh, them win because Kirika and Munimune will be a doubles team. You'll finally get to see their elite doubles talent, which is apparently right. a thing. Um, and then, of course, you'll see Koyori teach... Kururi how to enjoy ping pong through the the power of her smashes or something. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds about and right. And then Agari will prove why the, she's the true driver of the North. Like honestly, that's my expectation for the next two episodes. <laughs> uh, I don't know that much. I I could see them doing something where Hokuto wins. Uh, so because I think that okay, so we're assuming that the series does is going to write this well. I could see them, and you know, they do generally do the ping pong matches pretty well. I could see them having them do something like have Hokuto win and then set up so that uh, so that Kirika and Munemune, Munemune win their match as a doubles team. So, you know, kind of give them a little bit of a, you know, kind of like give them a little bit of an edge and then have a Gari lose so Koyori has to come in and basically save the team. Oh, maybe. I was assuming a Gari was going to play last because 
I think she's currently the ace. Okay, is she still technically the ace? I wasn't sure about that. Honestly, I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, uh, do you want to go into another series that, uh... Well, that we I guess we can keep up with. Good segue! <laughs> <laughs> You're killing it. Um, yes, let's discuss oh, All Out. Um, good. Alright, so it is... They're basically wrapping up the training camp, um... They show how Guillaume is the first to wake up one day and yell that he's he's first to wake up because he can't wait to play rugby because he loves rugby. Um, and <laughs> everyone gets mad at him, uh, but b- uh, partly because he wakes them up and then later because he still can't catch a pass. He doesn't know how to catch a rugby ball. He doesn't really know how to do anything except tackle. Um, but they then the coach sets them up and they have an inter-squad game. Uh, so Guillaume is actually playing, he's playing with the A-team, or the starters, and he gets the first tackle, he's able, able to make a clean tackle, um, but then after that, he's not able to make a clean tackle again, because they, the other team figures out that he's easy to trick, because he doesn't know rugby strategy, so he's not able to make a tackle, he drops passes, and he effectively is, is unable to stop anyone or do anything effective on offense. So by the end of the first half, his team is uh, down by a wide margin. Uh, and he gets pulled from the game. And the coach says that the fact that his team is losing is all Guillaume's fault because he doesn't know how to do anything. And he plays selfishly. Um, Guillaume... Uh, has a flashback about how when he was growing up he was never allowed to play on team sports because he was too short but he always wanted to be on a team it's just that his older brother thought he was an annoying kid and the other kids at school thought he was short and wouldn't give him the time of day and eventually uh he had so many anger problems that even when his height wasn't an issue he would get kicked off of teams because he would get in fights um and so he started to wonder he he uh, walks away from the training camp and decides that there's something wrong with him, that it's his fault that he can never be a, a team player. Um, and eventually the, they find Guioni sitting on the roof uh, and Iwa asks him whether or he is... Basically, whether he's so focused on tackles, Guillaume is. And he asks whether Guillaume is tackling people because he wants to get the ball back and play rugby, or if he's tackling people because he wants to um, enact his revenge against all the big guys who ever told him he was too little to play. Um, <laughs> Guillaume doesn't actually respond to that. He doesn't say anything for this whole section. Eventually, he does come back down, though. Um, and the next day, they do some more training, but then they finish off with another inter-squad. Guillaume isn't playing... But he's sitting on the sidelines and uh, eventually he gets so absorbed with the game and he wants to play the game and he he sees how much everyone else cares about it that the coach lets him come in. um, And he's actually able to stop the other team from scoring and he saves the game for the team he gets put in on. And the coach says that finally Guillaume has learned uh, a little bit about how to not play selfishly. And that he says that the, the team has a chance as long as they can focus on the group instead of the individual. Um, <clears throat> Guillaume is excited and he feels like basically the team comes around and says that he's finally a member of the team. 
um, because he's learned not to play selfishly. Uh, <laughs> and then they all go out for dinner. The end. <laughs> um, it was it was a decent episode. Um, my major takeaway from this was that a lot of this needed to be in the first episode. Yep. Much like March yep. comes in like a lion, you get all the background on the main character way too late. Yeah, kind of. Um, though I, I'm not going to talk about Marshall. It comes into like a line. I think it was a little bit more effective in that than in this. Yes. Um, but I, I do feel like that, uh, cause like, because like we talked about this in our, in our first discussion of it, about this whole thing about how the fact that Gion, like the fact that he's short is kind of treated as a joke, but also as his main character motivation. Exactly. They needed to have all of this first before they started treating it as a joke. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't. Um, I assume it's because it was just like a straight adaptation of the manga, but right. told in this format, it makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, to, to throw that in at first, because there's nothing really all that compelling about Gion without all of this. Well, yeah, and one thing we've complained about is the fact that there's been no main character up to this point, because it wasn't clear whether Gion was someone we should focus on or not until episode 7. Right. And, like, and even now it does kind of have the problem of... I, because, you know, it did focus on him for this episode. Is the series going to keep focusing on his development, or are they going to keep going for this whole team dynamic? Yeah. Because they because they kind of built up Iwashimizu and uh, and uh, Ibumi before anybody else. And, like, Seki's on to an extent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but none of them uh, really got any meaningful screen time this episode. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, but that being said, despite the, my complaints that this should have come before, I, it's still good that we got it. Yep. Uh, I did appreciate the fact that, uh, basically we finally understand that Gion has basically a com- like, I, I like the fact that they address the fact that Gion wants to beat up big guys, and that was always his motivation for playing on the team. Mm-hmm. Like... I get, like, the fact that he was able to take on... It, it kind of relates back to the fact that what he really wanted to do was take down Sekizan. Which is how he learned how to do the low tackle in the first place. Right. Because that was kind of the first time he's ever had this uh, means of actually, like, taking on people that were bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that... Uh... I don't know, what did you think? I don't know. There wasn't a lot to latch on to. It was... Most of the episode was justifying the flashbacks and building up Gion. And right. once you get to the end of the episode, you sort of say, like, all right. You know, that was about <laughs> the limit of my reaction was like, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, no, so now he's playing on the team. That's good. Um, but it didn't <laughs> really inspire much beyond that. I'm glad that the training camp is over. Hopefully, we'll get to see some interesting matches now. Um,. But, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that we got a little bit more character depth, but it was, I mean, it certainly was a long time coming. Um, yeah. I, 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 I continue to maintain that this is a slightly above average show, but not by much. Um, yeah. A lot of it is paint by the numbers, um, but there's a few things that are fun. I do... I will say I do somewhat I do look forward to watching All Out because I don't totally know what to expect with it and it's a fun group of characters. But it's nothing. I mean, I would be surprised if I was still thinking about it at all, you know, 6 months from now. Right. 
Yeah, that that's kind of a fair point. Kind of like, uh, oh, we're going to fire some shots here. Kuroko's basketball. Yeah, gosh. Like, I, I don't know why everybody fixates on that one, but man, that's a forgettable show. Um, <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about of, that some of, other lots time. Lots of cute boys with basketball superpowers, but other than that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all we got to say about this, I guess. I didn't really have anything all that interesting to say about it beyond, yeah, this should have happened before. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, so, Days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, another uninteresting sports anime. Gosh, this is such a good podcast, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk let's about, about the some mediocre in- sports anime that comes out along with like the one or two really good ones, Ex- exactly right? well that's why we put them up front right um yeah. so you know if you if you if you're decide to stop listening at this point in the podcast we will not blame you <laughs> <laughs> uh but with that bold recommendation let's move forward to days um so it starts off with a flashback to uh, Keo Gawara, which is this new rival school, and how the team started with a couple of guys standing out in front of the school and kicking a soccer ball and deciding that they were going to start their own soccer team and make history. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Seiseki boys are playing, uh, but it's pouring rain, and in the first half, Oshibara has been injured, uh, and the uh, everybody's sitting around watching the game, but they're worried because Oshibara got injured. The other team is playing really aggressively and getting a lot of fouls. Uh, they make an attempt um, to uh, to kick one of the Seiseki players in the face, basically. I think it was Kimishita. And then Mizuki grabs that other character that opposing character by the shirt and pulls him down. Mizuki gets a yellow card, meaning he'll be suspended from the next game. Um, Ultimately, Mizuki is able to rally and score four goals by himself off screen, of course. Um, (laughs) But by the end of the episode, Oshibara is injured, so he's not allowed to play. Uh, Kazuma is still hurt, so he can't play. And Mizuki is suspended for the next game because of his two yellow cards. Um... The, so the next game is against this new team, Keo Gawara, that's taken the world by storm. Um, the, all the Seiseki boys are motivated. Uh, and so they, they start the game off, and Kimishita actually tries to score right from the get-go. He's not able to, um, but then, surprise, surprise, Sakamoto steals the ball from the other team and passes it back to Kimishita, and then Kimishita looks real intimidating, and he says, don't underestimate Seiseki. <laughs> because now... Yeah, don't underst- underestimate one of the best schools in the district, huh? I know, exactly, yeah. Once again, Seiseki, they can't make up their minds as to whether they're an underdog or not. Um, yeah. Which I guess it makes sense because their three forwards are out, but also... No one underestimates Seiseki. You're one of the quote-unquote fearsome four of the best schools in Tokyo. So I don't know why you have this complex about being an underdog. Maybe it just makes the narrative work better. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. So I have, like, no notes for this. I have, like, a couple of things I did want to address, though. Okay. Um, First of all, the the nicknames in this series suck, okay? Like, 
You know, in, like, Scorching Ping Pong Girls, we may make our complaints, but, you know, I kind of love the crazy nicknames, like the Scorpion. The yeah, Scorpion yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the Pendulum. The, the Pendulum. It's, the okay, Driver the of the one. North. Here it's like, oh, they're the Big Three, or the Fearsome Four. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, there's no snap to that. You know, there's, there's nothing fun to say, like... Like, God, even you, can, you can't even get the nicknames right. Exactly. I mean, Keo Gawara, they're the the rising champions or whatever. You know, they're they're supposed to be this 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 scary, intimidating team that's only been around for two years, but they're gonna get you. And that's like, okay, well, I have no reason to believe that because you've never seen them play before or introduced them before or said anything about their history. But if you say so, right. Like, like, a better series would be, like, okay, so, like, they would probably spend a little bit of time with, like, a game, like, having them take down, like, a big team. Like, uh, what was the team that they played before? Saikon? Like, uh, like, like, the one that capped off the last season. Oh. Like, have them play, have them play that team in, like, a match or something like that. Like, maybe, like, in an exhibition match. Or, like, reference that they played them in an exhibition match. Exactly. And, like... But instead, this show kept all the other teams we've ever known anything about and put them in a separate division so we'd never see them again. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's one... There are two other things I'd like to address. Uh, first of all, there... Uh, one thing you did skip over in your summary, and I do not blame you for it because it is incredibly creepy... Uh. Yeah, you know what I'm about to bring up. So, they have this incredibly awkward, fi- like, so, like, uh, Keo Gawara, like, gets their entire team together to watch this video, the secret video that they took of, uh, Seiseki. And, as it turns out, they just decided, because it's an all-boys academy, they decided just to, uh, film, uh, Ubikata from the other team. Or, like, you know, their team manager, Seiseki's team manager. And it's just, like, they have to go through this very creepy, like... First they started her legs, and they filmed her down from the legs. Then they lifted up to the chest, and they're disappointed that she doesn't have much of a chest. But hey, you know what? She's still a girl. And then they see the face like, oh my god, she's so pretty. And all I can think is, do you guys not have the internet? Yeah, it's very strange that they had to send someone in secretly, specifically to film the other team's manager. None of, and, and right. it looks, it seems like, it's not like she has a reputation or anything. They've never seen her before, and they have no idea what to expect. But they right. all get together because a, they just found out that a girl exists. Um, <coughs> and they want to sit like, sit around in a group and be like, oh my gosh, she has a butt! And that's oh very exciting. Um, guys, this isn't Keijo. We can't get that excited about <laughs> girls' butts. Um... <laughs> Oh, that would make a great segue to Keijo, but I did have one other thing I wanted to bring up about days. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, so there's this one other scene where... So they have this scene where, the like, just before they start the game, the coach is going in and he's thinking to himself, oh no, the boys are going to be, like, really nervous and upset because they don't have, like, their three... You know, they don't have Ushibara, they don't have... Mizuki, and they don't have uh, uh, Kazuma, so they're going to be really down and depressed. And it's like, okay, so they're clearly building it up to basically, like, play with your expectations, so because, you know, the do- he's standing there in front of the door, and he opens up the door. And, you know, this would be the time to, like, do, like, an obvious gag, like, having them, like, d- do something, like, really silly or weird. No, they're just sort of, like, fired up and ready to go. Yeah. And all I can think during this segment is, like, this is the most boring thing you could have possibly done for this sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. He walks in and he's worried. 
I, I, I don't think they're going to be motivated for this game. But then he opens the door, and they are motivated for this game. <laughs> for this game, And nothing right. else. They're just standing around t- complimenting each other and saying that they believe in themselves. Like, it, it's right. such a great opportunity. Well, it's cheap. But it would be a cheap opportunity for humor. And honestly, if they had been, like, running around with their underpants on their head, I would have probably laughed. Uh, right. And so yeah, it would have exactly. been so easy but... to do literally anything. Anything else. And they didn't. Because that's... they just like, oh, okay, so they're... Okay, we think they're tense. They are not. End of story. Yeah, exactly. And it spent about three minutes on that. So... Yeah. I don't know. All right, let, All right. let's let's uh, cover the the emotional depths of Keijo. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Okay, so this episode uh, we start off with Miata entering her uh, entering the room. Uh, Nozomi strips down and asks uh, Miata if there's anything wrong with her body. Oh no! And then she start. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. No. Uh, she talks about her nipples in great detail, and then she takes off her panties and asks about her butt. In which case, uh, Miata comically overreacts and knocks her out of the room. Uh, because your roommate just started stripping and wants to wants to you to, like, acknowledge her body. Uh, uh, and then basically what happens is we start going more to the training of Nozomi. Uh, where she is basically... Basically, she has... We have the setup for, essentially, the big skill that she needs to learn. Oh, wait. Or So when she's trying to talk about her body, is that because she's trying to figure out the secret weakness that was alluded to last time? Yes, yeah. that is correct. Okay. I mean, that, that's the gag, but, I mean, that's supposed to be what she's alluding to, but, of course, Miata doesn't understand that. Yeah. And there's just all sorts of laughs to be had. Okay, sorry, go ahead. About this. Um, well, for... Uh, so, first of all, she starts going over, like, after, you know, all the hilarity has calmed down, she starts calmly talking with Miata and asking if there's an issue with her body. And eventually they determine, uh, through basically, uh, Nozomi using, doing, like, more butt figure eights, that she's going slower than she used to. And the reason for that was that her special training from before has basically added a lot more mass to her butt... And so she's not used to dealing with the weight down there anymore. She's built up all this extra muscle that she doesn't know what to do with. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, her trainer, um, whose name is, uh, Kyoko, uh, basically, this is sort of the classic setup for, for, like, any sort of training session where they have her doing this sort of random meaningless task that's actually supposed to open up this greater, like, knowledge of what she's been doing wrong or what she can learn to do. And what they have her do is, so they put her out on a farm, and they have her start pulling out turnips with her butt. Basically, they tie a rope around kind of her butt area, and she has to pull out the turnip, and she basically has to twist her butt in order to uh, pull out the turnips. Now, the only thing about this is, for every turnip she, like, breaks as she does this, they have to pay for her. And so she needs to basically learn how to pull out all these turnips without at, without breaking them. Okay. And so as she's so she tries to do this, um, and naturally she's having a lot of problems. She's not able to do it. Uh, eventually, the number one visit the like the number one elite whose name is uh, Kusaki visits Nozomi, and uh, she basically wants to know what she's doing. <clears throat> and what happens is. Uh, so she does it, uh, she basically asks to try what Nozomi's doing, she does it on her first try. And, uh, 
Nozomi's very confused about this. And uh, she asks, you know, Kusaki for any advice that she can give her. And she basically says, well, if you... Uh, uh, she'll basically tell her if she goes to bed with her and she starts groping her. Oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, that got awkward real quick. Um, however, Nozomi eventually figures out, uh, what to do because she steps back from, uh, Kusaki. She knocks into, like, this cart that's behind her that has the turnips, and she realize, and then, like, basically the cart moves and then the turnips move, basically. So this somehow kind of alludes to her how she's supposed to be moving the muscles in her butt in order to pu uh, to pull out these turnips. And then all of a sudden, like, storm clouds roll in, it starts raining really hard, and there's lightning. And then she manages to do it. Like, this is, I guess, supposed to be, like, setting up uh, atmosphere for, like, this great intense training she's about to partake, but she's finally able to pull out these turnips without breaking them. And uh, that is the end of this, that is the end of the episode. Really engaging stuff, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh the animation also kind of took a hit this episode oh, like no. the characters really felt off model a lot of times um it wasn't a very good episode i kind of appreciate the parody of the whole uh the training session of the sort of the weird meaningless training session uh but i mean really it was just kind of like any other one outside of the fact that uh we had some groping in there yeah um, anyway, I don't really have much else to add about it. It wasn't that great. I mean, it's pretty much standard at this point. The series can't seem to really determine whether or not it wants to be parody or serious. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Like, of a series that... Okay, so I know you don't want to hear it, but Prison School is a good example that does this well. Oh, yeah. Where, it, where it, does the, uh, it does the parody very well in a sense that because they tell it so straight that you just with such ridiculous situations that you just kind of have to, you just have to laugh at it basically. Well, yeah, clearly Keijo doesn't know what it is because the creator came out and said before it started, he's like, you know, this isn't a fan service show. We want to tell a serious story about an, you know, an interesting sport. Right. And so even if there is some parody in there, there's, you know, potentially some conflict on the creative staff about exactly what kind of story they want to tell. Right, because clearly they what they saw when they when they adapted this is hey girls are fighting with their butts. This sounds like a great fan servicey type of thing. Right. Um, yeah, because there's also like a random shower sequence that doesn't really feel, like there's this weird bath sequence that doesn't feel like it should have been there. Oh, good. Where basically all the girls are like playing around in the bath. Um. But yeah, I don't know it. I don't know. I just want to move on to Long Riders because I, I kind of want to rant about that. Okay, let's do it. All right. <laughs> so, Long Riders, episode five. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Whereas everything else is on seven or eight. Yeah, we are on it, will, five. it will never stop being funny to me how many episodes Long Riders has missed <laughs> uh, so far. But anyway, so we start off with uh, Amy getting a road bike at alpaca and um so she's finally able to afford her road bike from her maid cafe stuff they never even bring up how she paid for it or when but whatever um they then she meets up with the girls and they run into uh hinako and yayoi's friend from the college bike club saki 
Oh my gosh, it turns out Saki's actually the girl that Amy and Oi met on the mountain. And isn't that a crazy coincidence? And right. they talk about the new Amy's new road bike. Um, and Amy says that with this bike, I can do things I've never done before. So with that kind of uh, well-thought-out internal n- narration, we move on to Amy going on her first solo ride. So she's she already she went on one ride with the group. It went really well, and then she wanted to ride again, but no one else could go, so she rides by herself. Um, she takes the same route as uh, she and Aoi did in the second episode, uh, but it's a lot easier because she actually has a functional bike now instead of a child's toy. Um, <laughs> she unfortunately hits a pothole and she has to change her tire, uh, but she realizes she doesn't know how to change her tire and she destroys all her spares. And then some other people from her college bike group, maybe? It wasn't totally clear who they were yeah. or whether Saki was one of them. It was a girl with long black hair, but they didn't acknowledge whether it was Saki or not. Um, helped to change her tire, and then Amy goes and she rides and gets ice cream, and she runs into Aoi there, and they eat ice cream together, and the dramatic conclusion is that Amy decides that she likes riding bikes with her friends. Okay, so in a rare twist, I am going to just slightly defend this episode. Okay. But not very much. All right, dive right in. There is one scene that I actually really liked in this episode, and that is actually the scene where she is sitting at the ice cream store. Because all we get are, is just very ambient noise, and Amy is just sitting there by herself. She kind of takes a picture of her ice cream and sends it to her friends. Because this, to me, says... Okay, this girl is very lonely if she's taking pictures of her food and wants, like, responses from her friends about it, okay? Yeah. And there's a nice little part where she kind of, like, her phone actually buzzes and she very excitedly checks it out. And she sees that, uh, it's like, oh, she got an email from, like, the alpaca store or something like that about, like, hey, we got a sale going on. Exactly. Um, and, you know, she kind of puts her phone back down dejectedly. And I appreciated how quiet the scene was and how very well it captured, like, what it's kind of, like, you're bored. You're bored, you're lonely, and you don't know what else to do. You're checking your phone, and you're kind of overreacting to uh, even just, like, the slightest, like, reaction from your phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. It's like, this was a very boring scene that I think was actually in its favor. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like it captured the essence of that very well. Yeah, that's true. That that was a nice little moment. Now that I think of it, it, it came at the end of a very <laughs> unintentionally boring, boring episode. Uh, we had a very interesting, boring scene that took place at the very at the very end of a very boring episode. Yeah, um, that that was nice. And then she runs into Oi and decides, like, "Hey, I missed you today." Basically, is all she says. Like, it's it's yeah, more fun but... when we're together, um, which fine but like the fact that we're five episodes in and they still haven't brought up the fact that oi and amy well they i guess they brought up the possibility that they could join the bike club but they never even asked them so yeah that's a fair point um, i hadn't even quite thought about so look at where we're at they have a max of 13 episodes they've already missed two so in this season they can have a max of 11 episodes meaning they only have six episodes left (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in order to go from not yet being asked to join the bike club 
to competing against other colleges in bike competitions. Yeah. Like, clearly they were supposed to be further than this on the plot, so I don't know whether the show is just going to skip stuff and try to make the plot make sense and jump over it, or whether they're going to just do the original 11 episodes the way they plotted it and just put the last two on the Blu-ray or something. Yeah... They might just have to do that. Maybe they weren't really even expecting to have that many episodes. It might just continue into next season. I, I don't <sighs> think it's it was originally supposed to, but maybe. Um, the other interesting aspect to this is that within the first week of this season, I think it was Sentai licensed Long Riders for release in the United <laughs> right. States. Um, which will be interesting because you got to wonder whether they'll go back and be like, okay... Before we release this, you gotta do the rest of this show, and <laughs> right. you gotta fix all the crappy animation. Um, right, which is actually something that they do tend to do for Blu-ray yeah, it, oh, I, So that's yeah, that that's true. They will they always polish it up for the Blu-ray release. But this is so dramatically bad, you uh, know. Which is funny that you bring that up as well because this was an episode that I saw the most glaring uh, uh, continuity error error with the editing. So when we come back from the bumper, there's a scene where Amy is, like, she's stopped at, like, the bridge. And she's like, oh, wow, this feels so good. And you see her, she's in her blue biking gear. Oh. And then in the ne- then it cuts to the next scene, and all of a sudden she's in her pink, uh, her like, her pink-collared shirt that she's been wearing for the rest, that she wears for the rest of the episode. Oh, that's funny. I didn't notice and that. And it's like, where did, your, where did your biking gear go? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of weird beats. There's the fact that um, on her first ride with her road bike, they she, like, gets stuff in her eyes, and they say, oh, well, you, you better buy some eyewear. And she's like, oh, they're so expensive. I don't know if I'll ever be able to buy it. And then in the next scene when she's riding, she just has eyewear. She has it. Yeah. It's not acknowledged that she bought it. She just has it. Whatever. Um, is it- I also kind of feel like the fact that um, this friend of theirs, uh, what was her name again? Saki, Saki I think. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that we are, like, they try and write it off as the fact of, oh, she's just a friend, she's a cycling friend that we don't really get to see too often. Right? Mm-hmm. And then in this very episode, we see her go visit, uh, oh my god, what's the... Hinaka. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. Her. They go. She goes to visit her. Uh, she goes to visit Hanako at her Chinese restaurant. Exactly. Just pops in. You know. Oh, we and never see in. her until all the time this episode. Yeah. Exactly. And I kind of feel like that's going to be a trend from here on out because it's going to be like, oh yeah, we don't see her ever. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, now that they've decided to introduce her to the group, now she's just going to be part of the group. Exactly. Unacknowledged. Um, do you want to comment on the fact that Hinako had to wear a bunny outfit this episode? No, I don't really want to. I just but, wanted to say uh, that it yeah, happened. I... So, if anyone listening is considering watching Long Riders, this is the kind of show where they dress the main characters up in law lo- in bunny outfits for no reason because that's the only way they're gonna sell any merch. <laughs> <laughs> well, also the fact it's like I just I kind of love the justification for this is that her parents are paying her double to wear the bunny outfit. It is a little funny, but also it's gross. It's it's very gross of her parents. Yeah. I mean, I realize she's in college, so, you know, she's of age and everything, but it's, it's very creepy that you're treating your daughter like that. Yeah. 
I don't know. It didn't make me feel good. No, I mean, n- yeah, nothing no. in this episode really did. It was either boring, poorly animated, or both at all times. Um, the CG is really intrusive when they use it. Because oh, yeah. the models for Amy are so... Like, her CG model is so... F- it looks so out of place um, yeah. from her 2D model. And so it just really sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, this oh my God. this show they... is the low point of my week. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <sighs> okay, well, thank you for... I think that kind of wraps it up. Yeah, right. Uh, Go th- out on a low note, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, thank you as usual for joining me this it week. It was my pleasure, despite everything oh, I said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Matt, would you uh, hit the credits? I surely shall. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.